this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Yolitics. A buddy Wheeler uh, is on the line here with us, and man, you look stressed out. Do I? I think that's just my resting face these days. <laughs> your RBF <laughs> at your RBF. So I, knowing that you have an RBF, I, I brought you something back and left it on your desk. I saw that, uh, and I have not dipped into it yet. I saw it and was, and, and it seemed like a trap. It, it seemed like too good to be true. Well, for for the our listener here too, it is a beer sampler from HEB. I, I went in and I was about to buy these three six packs, and on the way out, I saw where you could buy the individuals. So. I got a, uh, a little carton and, and went to work on picking out some uh, nice choices for Wheeler. Made sure he had some fruit beer in there and some other, uh, some other edible beer in there, too. Do you, do you have one today? I, yeah, I, I do, but I, I brought it from, uh, from downstairs. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I walked right by my desk, and I saw that six-pack sitting there, and I thought, don't touch it. You know, it's probably got jaws on it or something. It's too good to be true. <laughs> There's, it's got to be a trap of some sort. Wait, 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 let me ask uh, you. You have a refrigerator downstairs somewhere where you hide beer? I don't. I have uh, someone else's locker who will remain nameless mm. here. Uh, he is one of the members of our podcast mm. team. His name's Daryl. He's not nameless. <laughs> uh, and he has beer stashed in his locker. So I just uh, grabbed one of those, and it's called a Wild Texas Kolsch, uh, which is brewed somewhere here in Texas. Hill Country-ish, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Crack it open. So this what is think. what I'm doing today. It's it's warm, but uh, I'm going to have a warm Kolsch. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, Daryl hasn't uh, installed any kind of cooling. And I think Daryl shook this one before he put it in his locker, too. So uh, got a nice head of beer coming off uh, uh, the top of the can. I'll say this, Wheeler. You need you need a beer, whether it's warm, cold, or, or in between, I think, to help take the I agree. Take Maybe it will off. help with that resting face yeah. uh, that looks too stressed. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you have a secret stash you can you can dip into. I, I'm having <laughs> a, a lager beer, lager, L-O-G-G-E-R, beer. Oh, a lager beer. Lager. I get it. Okay. And, and it's beer spelled B-I-E-R. Yeah, which is That's fancy. the German uh, spelling, I believe. This is from Equal Parts Brewing Company in um, in Houston, in the 713. In the second ward, my friend, is where this ah. is from. And, you know, it's it's chilled to a nice uh, 47 degrees. Okay, so, so you didn't pull it out of somebody's locker. You got it out of the fridge. No, I, right. I put mine in the fridge. I prepared for this podcast, Wheeler. Prepared for it. Let us know how that B-I-E-R tastes. Ah, it's refreshing. Very nice. So I, uh, I didn't just go for a beer run when I was in Austin. We were down there actually covering the legislature in the opening day of the legislature uh, last Tuesday yeah. is when they got going. So you, you probably- How crazy was it, first of all, just those first several days? You know, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think there was... I've been covering the legislature since 2000 in this state, and I don't. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of buzz or a lot of energy around this one. Um, hmm. and, and I'm not. Why is that? I, I, I don't know. I was thinking that, you know, some people were saying, well, you know, the Republicans have already passed everything they wanted to pass in, in the past few sessions. So yeah. there's, there was a lot of red meat yeah. the last time around, and it's almost like it, it got out of their system. But surely there's got to be some contentious things that are going to come up this time. Yeah, there are. You know, they, they already passed open carry, uh, changes to voting laws, uh, you know, further abortion restrictions. They, they got a lot of things knocked off their list they wanted to accomplish. 
and, and there just isn't as much buzz. Now, of course, politics being politics and Republicans have the majority, Democrats are there, everyone's fighting for a piece of the pie. Uh, there are some uh, uh, issues emerging uh, that, that we've seen so far. Uh, talking to a, a few different uh, folks, they were saying that Republicans really plan to go after, you know, they talked about transgender last session. They got a lot of pushback on that. But now they're, they're, they're sounds like they're going to go after the doctors who perform sex changes on minors. And then something else, I don't know, I'm sure you sat down and watched Speaker Phelan's uh, opening announcement at 2 o'clock last Tuesday. Uh, if not, I, I can get you the VHS tape of that if you want to watch it again, Wheeler. <laughs> um, but one thing that he mentioned, the, the Speaker said he wanted to go after, is he wants to protect minors from social media apps. Remember last July, we talked to State Rep. Jared Patterson from North Texas, and he said that's one of the things he wants to do. And, and he was talking about at the time maybe an outright ban on kids, uh, you know, on TikTok and, and you know, people under 18 on uh, Instagram, Facebook, etc. cetera. I, you know, we, we, it sounded kind of out there at the time, and, and he also acknowledged there might be some parents that, that say, hey, we have rights too in this conversation. But the speaker brought that up. Said he wants to uh, talk about that. I'm, I'm going to be watching very closely to see what happens with school vouchers, with school choice, uh, as it's called. Uh, you, you know, critics of that, you know, say that it's the undermining of public schools. Uh, I think that might be a point of contention this time around. Uh, but, uh, you know, one interesting thing uh, that I noticed in the past several days uh, that I think a lot of people have been a little bit surprised by is the House Speaker, Dade Phelan, um, you know, going forward with this idea that even though Republicans have the majority in the legislature, which they've had for decades, um, he is still going to let there be Democratic chairs on some of the different committees, uh, that they will actually head up certain committees there. And, you know, he's gotten some blowback in his own party for that. Uh, but the majority has agreed that they'll allow that to continue. So it's, it's kind of an odd animal these days when you think about politics to think about, uh, you know, uh, even a semblance of bipartisanship like that. Yeah, and, and they made a point, both sides made a point when, when we were down there talking about how, you know, Austin is not D.C., especially with, with the debacle we saw uh, in, in D.C. With, with the speaker's race there. The, the committee thing you were talking about is, is pretty interesting because if you don't pay that much attention to, uh, to this issue, here's why this matters. Committees uh, on things like public safety, on, uh, you know, education, health and human services. There's all these committees. Committees are super important because they can either advance legislation or they can kill legislation and it won't go any farther. So, you know, as has been done in the past, tradition is since the speaker is elected by everybody in the House, not everyone in the state, the speaker uh, is elected by Democrats and Republicans, and so the speaker traditionally appoints some people of the opposing party to certain committees. They aren't always the key committees, aren't always the coveted committees, but they do get uh, some, some appointments there. And a lot of Republicans were like, hey, we're in the majority here. We have been for a while. Why in the world are you giving away some of this control to the opposing party? They didn't like that in the end. Speaker Phelan won out, though. Yeah, Democrats have to be happy about that, uh, you know, that, that that is going to continue going forward. Uh, but my, my curiosity is, and I know that you, you spoke to, uh, you know, the, the man who's heading up, uh, the, you know, the, the caucus yeah. of Democrats this time around. 
Uh, how are they feeling otherwise? Because you know the, the, the midterms uh, have passed here, uh, and I know that you know the party has had its uh, big disappointments uh, here in Texas. How are they feeling? Yeah, you, you know the the new leader uh, of the Texas House Democrats, the new caucus chairman, is a guy named Trey Martinez Fisher. He's a state rep from San Antonio. Uh, he just got elected after Chris Turner from Arlington uh, stepped down. Chris, I, I mean, how would you describe Chris? Maybe a little more statesman-like, uh, statesman-like, uh, statesman-like. Statesman. Yeah, I can't even figure that out there. Statesman-like. <laughs> and and TMF, as he is known by his initials, um, he's not afraid to brawl. He he will get down in there and, and uh, you know, get in the mosh pit and, 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 and fight. Um, but but we wanted to know how he is going to, to lead differently. And, and we talked to him about that. I talked to him about uh, a number of things, including um, how to spend the $32 billion surplus. He has some vastly different ideas on how to spend that than our last guest last week, Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick. So we went to the fourth floor office of State Rep Trey Martinez-Fisher and had this conversation. Hey, y'all. This is where Texas politics gets interesting for another smart conversation on Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Mr. Chairman, congratulations on the uh, new position here. W what is the priority for, for Democrats this session? You're still in the minority, so what do you think you can get accomplished? Well, look, uh, let, me, let me tell you a couple of things. Every time you go through a redistricting cycle, you see Republicans just gerrymander a very safe, comfortable majority. This time around, they only netted one seat. So we start off this legislative cycle, knowing that they just picked up one seat in an election uh, that was supposed to be big for them in a time where Greg Abbott won by double digits. That being said, it tells us that people in this state are not necessarily bought and sold on the notion of one party dominating and control of the conversation. So as we go to work this session, the number one thing we have to talk about is there are about 33 billion reasons as to why we should be bipartisan and pragmatic. We have the opportunity to actually help people. This is my 11th term. Uh, every time I come here, there's some fantastic ideas, but no money. Uh, so now we have a little bit of money to invest in our people. And let's, let's see who has a better vision of helping middle-class Texans struggle to, through what we know is a very tough time. Well, let's talk about the, the, the surplus there. $32.7 billion, I believe, is what the comptroller estimates. Where do Democrats think that money should be spent on? Property taxes seems like it, it's something that both parties agree on. Yeah, look, property taxes are they're a wonderful tool, but that's pretty easy. And it doesn't reach all of Texans. I mean, you imagine people that live in trailer parks, you know, what kind of property tax relief are they going to get? People who rent their apartments or, you know, people who are trying to make it, you know, in a big city where they don't have the ability to afford their own home. There's a way that we can actually put money in people's pocket where they'll actually benefit from. And, and frankly, you know, in this notion of, of providing choice and, and liberty and independence to our fellow Texans, why don't we just give them the money and trust them that they're going to invest it the way they want to? Well, what are you thinking of? Well, I mean, look, I, I think we have we have several opportunities to to figure that out. But hey, I, I've seen other states in this country provide direct inflation assistance payments to Texans and say, hey, we know you're struggling. We know it's hard. We know the, a dozen of eggs right now is about six dollars a dozen. We know times are tough. We're going to give this to you. If you, if you want to buy medicine, you can buy medicine. You want to cut your taxes, you can cut your taxes. You want to help your son or daughter uh, pay that high college tuition. We'll give you that flexibility. I think this if this is a session about parental choice or about Texans' choice, 
we ought to give them a choice in their pocketbooks as well. But would cutting checks, wouldn't that add to the inflation problem that this country has going on right now? Well, not necessarily. Uh, it, it, only, it only contributes to the cost of goods. I mean, what if you were investing it to, to pay down taxes, to pay down your mortgage? What if you're investing it back in your business? Uh, you know, to lower cost. Uh, and when you're lowering cost in your business, well, then you're not impacted by inflation. So look, I, I, I trust Texans more than anything. I trust them over us to do what's best for their pocketbooks. Let's talk about the new position, caucus chair. Uh, you bring a different political energy to this position. What should what should we expect from House Democrats uh, this session with you at the helm? Well, well, first I'll say, you know, you know, picking up where Chris left off. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's an honor for me to serve this caucus. It's the ultimate job interview. You, there's nothing like being evaluated by your peers. Let me just put it to you that way. That being said, Chris put us in a really good position. Yeah, Chris Turner, your predecessor yes, from Arlington. Yes, Chris yes. Turner, our, our predecessor, um, my predecessor from Arlington, uh, former caucus chair, did a really good job putting us in a position to succeed. I think, look, I'm, I'm an old school, you know, San Antonio Holmes Husky linebacker. I, you know, used to, you know, evaluating offenses and executing wonderful defenses. Uh, you know, I think we're just going to, we're going to play and we're going to engage. I think that people always ask us, well, what do we expect to see? I just think I have a different style. And I think every time you elect a new leader, there's always a new energy, but we have a fantastic team. Our fundamentals are strong. You know, the energy and the desire and the motivation of our members, you know, they are committed to serving the people of the state of Texas. And, and frankly, I think we just need to get back to basics. And, and so... But you do have a different style, but I, I, I kind of characterize you respectfully as being a little more aggressive. And, and Texas Democrats have kind of been lacking in, in that, uh, many people would say. Well, look, I, unfortunately for me, I have two speeds on and off, right? So if I'm on, I'm working, I'm working hard. I mean, this is a job that I love and it's a job that I take very seriously. And I say all the time, when, I, when you come to Austin, you can do things, you can do two things. You can come up here to be loved or you can come up here to be feared. And frankly, I get all my love at home, right? When I come up here, it's about you know business, it's for the constituents I represent, it's for the point of view that I have to bring, the perspective I have to offer, and I'll be relentless and, and very surgical when it comes to advocating for the people of the state of Texas. Republicans we have seen uh, over the last few sessions have passed all of their priorities, uh, changes to voting laws, open carry, abortion restrictions, et cetera. It seems like a lot of things have been knocked out by the GOP that they wanted to get done. Gender reassignment surgery, uh, and going after doctors seems to be what they're going after this session, what conservatives are going after this session. Can, can Democrats stop that at all? Well, here, here's, here's my view. You know, my view is that we have so much to work on. We have an opportunity to be constructive. We have an opportunity to be pragmatic. And when we start throwing in these issues of division, then it just starts us off on the wrong foot. I mean, my recommendation is this. We have people's work to do. We have one thing to do in this building as mandated by the Constitution, that's to adopt a budget. This budget's gonna have extra money in it, so we have the extra added bonus of actually doing something to help people. When we're done with that, if Republicans wanna have a culture war and we wanna play dog whistle politics, well, let's lock the door, let's go all night if we have to. Let's go all weekend if we need to. But let's take care of the people's business first. Do you, do you expect there'll be conflict like we've seen in, in sessions past? I mean, last time you and I spoke, we were in Washington, D.C. when the Democrats broke quorum. Yes, well, you know, anything is possible, right? But again, we have so many issues on the table right now that just scream bipartisanship, just scream being pragmatic. I think voters out there are demanding that. Uh, so look, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna meet them halfway. I'm gonna put my foot forward and say, let's have a constructive, productive, you know, bipartisan session. But, you know, if, if that, you know, sort of rhetoric, you know, shows its head around the corner, then Texas Democrats will be prepared to fight. When you talk to your Republican colleagues, what, what do they say? Because this, there doesn't seem to be as much 
political energy around this session, not a lot of buzz around this session. Are, are, it seems a little more policy oriented. Are, are Republicans ready to work with Democrats? I would expect so. Look, I, this is my 11th term and there's always an appetite for bipartisanship. And I think that that sort of tone is set at the top. I think, you know, Speaker Phelan has talked about right. being bipartisan. So, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to taking him up on that. And, and I've, I've reached out to him personally already. Uh, and I've, I've, as many Republicans that I've talked to, you know, we've talked about doing some work together. So look, I, I think let's get back in the room. Let's get comfortable with each other again. Let's meet the new faces. We have many new faces here. And then again, let's set the tone and the tradition of this Texas House where it is the Texas House. Uh, we're not necessarily the Democratic Party you know, apparatus and we're not the apparatus for the Republican Party. We should be doing what's best for the people of the state. And when we're doing that, we're kind of driving that bus right down the middle lane. And that's where I hope to keep us. And that's my job as caucus chair is to kind of keep us in the center lane and not drift too far to the right. Let me ask you one last question on that topic. Last session, there, there was a lot of conflict between Republicans and Democrats. The GOP wanted to pass the changes to voting laws. Uh, you know, Democrats broke quorum a couple times and, and went to D.C. What do you expect it's going to be like over the next 140 days working with your colleagues uh, across the aisle? Because the last session w was pretty tough between you guys. Well, you know, again, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of taking my cue from the top that, that, you know, we are coming into an unprecedented session with an unprecedented amount of money that we have to invest in our, you know, in our state and our fellow Texans. And so I, I think that's where we need to start. And I think hopefully working on a budget that's pragmatic and that actually improves the lives of people of this state, you know, kind of gives us an idea of, of, of what it means to work together. Uh, and of course, we're going to have our fights. We're going to have our meltdowns in any organization. You're going to have conflict. But if you can focus and strive to have more good days and bad days, then that'll be the goal that we should set. And again, the tone that I'm picking up from people is that, you know, we definitely know how to fight. Like, that's not a mystery. We've been there. We can go there. Republicans can go there. But what, what is that going to do to improve the lives of, of, of people sitting in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Arlington? Uh, what we could be doing instead is investing, you know, as much of that $32.7 billion in making our schools, number one, safer, mm -hmm. making them better, uh, you know, looking at people sitting in traffic all up and down the Metroplex, can we make that better by putting some more money into roads and infrastructure? Can we think outside the box? Uh, when's the last time college tuition has gone down? When is the last time somebody's auto insurance premium went down? These are all products controlled by the state. We have the means, we have the resources. So I'd like to hear from fellow Texans. What do they think is important? Do they think we should be having these culture wars or should we lower the cost of goods that you talk about every single day at the kitchen table? I know in my household, we talk about how expensive things are getting and we're having to make sacrifices. I bet you for the 30 million people that live in this state, they're having those same conversations. Mr. Chairman, thank you. Thank you. Y'all don't go anywhere. Eolitics will be right back. So, uh, you know, interesting that you say that TMF, as they call him, uh, is, you know, a little bit more of a brawler, not afraid to mix it up, uh, because we've heard that from, you know, within the party for, for several years now, uh, that they feel like, you know, Democrats in Texas need to put up more of a fight, need to be more aggressive, uh, and, and sort of turn things around, you know, after some disappointing elections. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out, though, in, in terms of being in the legislature there. Uh, and also interesting, and I think this is really what matters to, you know, a lot of people here in Texas, that $33 billion question. What are they going to do with all of that surplus money? That's a 
big bank account just overflowing with cash right now, uh, $32.7 billion is the latest estimate there. That is a lot of money, and I think that you know there's going to be a lot of uh, homeowners in this state who are going to be watching Republicans who are going to say, I, mean, I expect you to follow through on this sort of campaign promise that you made that you're going to give me relief in my property taxes, which are among the highest in this country. Are you going to do something that's going to be a little bit of relief? Am I actually going to notice it? This, of course, has bipartisan support. The question is, how much support are they going to give to property owners here in this state who've really been struggling with those tax amounts? And you heard what TMF said. He, he said that, that, you know, he thinks that it might be better off just to give a check to all the Texans because the property tax relief might not necessarily reach people who live in apartments or live in duplexes or live in houses where they pay rent or even people who right. live in mobile homes. So, you know, he and a lot of time those rents go up because yep. your landlord is paying higher taxes. And so your rent is going up accordingly. And yeah, that doesn't trickle down to you necessarily uh, if there's property tax relief that doesn't come in the form of a direct check. Yeah, indeed. So well, let me ask you this, Wheeler. 32 bills. Mm -hmm. You have 140 days suspended. What do you spend it on? Oh, gosh, where would I begin? I, I wouldn't even know where to begin spending really? that kind of money. You would, yeah, you're, I wouldn't you're the right on the money do. guy. What do you mean you don't know where to no. begin, man? Let me tell you what. Well, I would invest a lot of it, and I'd take a very you, long vacation. What are you investing for? In real estate. At $32 billion, you don't need to invest anymore. I think you're, you're probably because set. Ask any billionaire this. It is never enough. You never think you have enough. Uh, I'll tell you, though, I, I, have, I can't off the top of my head think of exactly how I would spend that. I wouldn't know what to do if I opened my wallet and saw $32. I never have cash. I never have that kind of money sitting in front of me. So uh, who knows? But I, I could do some real good, and I could probably do some real bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's explore this and just put our other guests aside for a moment here. Some real good. I, I'm curious about that, but some real bad. Let's go down this road. I would do more good than bad, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, so TMF is the brand new, uh, newly elected chair of the House Democrats. Uh, the House Republicans across the aisle did the same thing, and, and they elected a brand new chair as well, too. He's a state representative from Tarrant County, from Fort Worth. His name is Craig Goldman. And we put a lot of these same questions to uh, Representative Goldman as well there at the Capitol. Okay, y'all, the conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics. Representative, good to see you again. Good to see you too, Jason. $32 billion. Yeah. What, there, there, we heard a lot of things as the session opened about what that money could go to. A lot of people talking about property taxes. Yeah. That's probably where a lot of it will go if it doesn't go into, this, into the rainy day fund, the state savings account. But, but what does property tax relief look like to House Republicans? It's a great question, and that's why we're here. That's why we're beginning session, and that's what we're going to discuss. Uh, it's up to the Appropriations Committee, the Ways and Means Committees. Uh, they'll, they'll be announced here in the next few weeks, and bills will be filed. Uh, and, and determine what happens with that money and how it happens. We're all in favor of giving property tax cuts. We know that's one of the biggest complaints our constituents talk about every single day with us. Uh, we feel it too, yeah. but we have to make it sustainable. There's no point in giving someone a property tax cut for one or two years if we can't make it sustainable and make it, and instead of having to raise your property taxes in three to four years from now. Making it sustainable is one thing, but meaningful is something else as well. You know, we, we've seen the legislature make these moves in sessions past, 
But a lot of times folks are like, I, I don't really feel this because it's all in, in the wash with the appraisal. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and you heard the speaker today talk about appraisal reform. So uh, look, all those issues are on the table. It's why we um, talk about it on day one so that we can start planning and start organizing. And then hopefully by the end of session, we have real legislation that has teeth in it where we can make those changes. You were just elected as caucus chair for the House Republicans. Congratulations Thank you. on that. I'm sure they're kind of, uh, you know, barking down your door here to try to tell you things they want and things they want you to advocate for. What is a consensus kind of building around? Have you had an idea yet? Well, I think right now, and I was just elected yesterday, so I haven't had that many knocking on the door and, and uh, uh, throwing it down. But I think the number one issue, to your point, is what you're talking about, the budget. Everyone's talking about the extra money that we have, the yeah. over $30 billion, and then add another $13, 14000000000 billion in the rainy day fund. So close to $50 billion extra dollars we have to spend or not spend or say, you know, put, put away in an account for two years from now. And, and that's what really right now everybody's talking about is the best way to spend those dollars to help the people of Texas. Speaker Phelan mentioned uh, reining in social media companies in his, in his opening speech. Well, we, we've heard some talk. Jared Patterson from North Texas uh, was on our program and, and spoke about that. What might that legislation look like? I don't know. <laughs> Are you but, in support of that? Well, I think uh, on the surface, yes, but we'll see what it says. You know, again, we're at the beginning of the session and so many bills have already been filed and people are like, oh my gosh, look at this bill that's been filed. You know, I can't believe it or go, Bill, go, whereas you don't know if it's even going to get a hearing. So again, all of that is part of the process. Again, in about three weeks, I'd say, we'll have committee assignments. We'll know who the chairs are. We'll know who sits on what committees. Bills will start getting referred. And then we really want and need and hope the people of Texas come down here and advocate um, as, as individuals in Texas for or against different pieces of legislation. That really matters to us. When people come in front of the committee process, like in the, the room here that yeah. we're standing in now, to come in and advocate for things that you're for or against, that really helps us as members to really decide on what, what we send to the floor for a vote. Speaker Phelan uh, said in his opening uh, remarks that, quote, we owe it to the memory of those children in Uvalde, children and teachers, to make sensible, meaningful change while acknowledging also, he said, tough conversations yeah. are ahead on that. W would Texas conservatives consider raising the limit to, to uh, purchase a weapon from 18 to 21? I don't know about that, Jason, but I know we have to do something. And again, I give Speaker Phelan great credit for forming the committee that he did with uh, Chairman Burroughs, Dustin Burroughs, and Joe Moody, a bipartisan committee, right. and former Justice Guzman from the Supreme Court were on there as well and went down to Uvalde and, and, and just really discussed everything and put together a comprehensive report on what they discovered. And I think we're going to, those two especially, Representative Burroughs and, and Moody uh, will form some, um, basically some very tough piece of legislation we'll have to consider passing. What, what would be, I mean, for so long we've heard and, and conservatives have told me and you've told me too, you know, gun laws are a non-starter here. I, I just don't know if we have the votes for it, to be, to be frank and honest with you. I mean, I, I was surprised the speaker mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, considering yeah. that the votes have never been here in, in the past. Yeah. I. I Again, <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll we see. That's right. We'll see if the votes are for anything. Uh, 140 days left here. I do want to ask you about uh, a statement that the lieutenant governor made. Uh, he wants to enact a mandatory 10-year sentence uh, for anyone who commits a crime with a with a firearm. Is that something House Republicans could get behind? Uh, it possibly is. I mean, again, I, I mean, I hate to be coy and say that you know we it's don't know. I know yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not a lawyer, but. It depends what the legislation looks like. It depends what the legislation says. I mean, we say things we want to do in the House every single session that don't pass in the Senate. 
The Senate says things that they want to do that don't pass in the House. I will speak for the House. To pass anything takes 76 votes. It's extremely difficult to pass anything in the Texas State House. That's why there's over 6,000 bills filed and only about 1,500 of them make it to the governor's desk for signature. A, a lot to do in the next 140 days. No doubt about it. We're looking forward to it. Mr. Chairman, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. For people who aren't familiar, we've had so many people who have moved here uh, to this state just in the last year, certainly in the last two years, uh, who might not be aware that the Texas legislature only meets every two years, uh, every odd numbered year. Uh, and in this, what, six months or so that we'll see this legislative session play out, uh, there'll be thousands of bills filed, uh, but very few actually percolate to the top and, and get true consideration. Yeah, and, and Goldman just said, I, I think, what, 6,000 bills filed and, and 1,000 or so, 1,500 or so actually might make it to the governor's mm -hmm. desk for a signature. So that, that that's, you know, tells you right there how much gets weeded out through the committees and, and things like that. Um, one of the things there in the House chamber after Speaker Phelan got elected on Tuesday, one of the other things he said besides banning minors from social media and other uh, ways that they would work together and be unlike D.C., he said this was really interesting to me, his, his word choice. He said we're going to have to have, quote, a tough conversation, end quote, on how to address Uvalde, the massacre mm -hmm. there last May at Robb Elementary School. Uh, down there in South Texas. And, and it's, it's interesting because Democrats have been saying, uh, listen, the Uvalde victims' families and we, at least minimum, want to raise the age limit from 18 to 21 to purchase a firearm. Now, take a wild guess what Republicans say about that. Um, you know, the Second Amendment, you know, rights shall not be infringed. That, that They've been repeating that constantly. And, and I asked Goldman that you just heard just a moment ago, Representative Goldman, and, and he said, we'll have to wait and see what the physical bills look like. Um, but we, we did want to go and, and talk to State Senator Roland Gutierrez, who's been very outspoken, been on the podcast here with us quite a few times, Jason, and, and ask him what, what he is going to do uh, about Uvalde. And what, what do you think he can get done at the end of the day? Because he's a Democrat and Democrats don't have the votes and it's going to be hard to get Republicans on board with this. Here's what he told us. Senator, thank you for having us in your new office here. I know you guys have just, just moved in, but there, there's a lot of work to do uh, with the session starting here, too. This is the first legislative session since the uh, massacre at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, obviously. At the time, Governor Abbott was saying he wasn't going to call a special session, but would make this a priority uh, during the regular session. How do you think lawmakers are going to address that tragedy? Well, Jason, it's my hope that we do something. I think that we certainly need to have a little bit of a discussion on this issue. It's certainly a values check on what we need to do in this space. Not one parent in Uvalde is asking for anybody's guns to be taken away. They're asking for a small law change to not allow an 18-year-old to have access to a militarized weapon until they're 21. It's common sense. And unfortunately, this young man was able to access militarized weapons at the age of 18 like he was going to a 7-Eleven buying a Slurpee. It was that easy. I mean, just knowing Republicans in this building like you, that, that seems like a non-starter, uh, raising that age limit. Do you think you can get any traction from the GOP? Well, you know, we've talked, I've talked privately to some of my colleagues in the Senate, and there is some interest. It's my hope that we can get there. You know, you notice that the lieutenant governor has not yet 
mentioned anything on this issue. So it's my hope that he takes a position, takes a leadership position. I understand where the governor's at right now. He's tried to punt and say that it's unconstitutional. That's completely false. Uh, he's making an argument based on um, factually distinguishable cases in the country. You've had the Speaker of the House say that he doesn't have the votes. At the end of the day, put it up for a vote and let's have a discussion on it on the floor of the House, on the floor of the Senate. Let's have a debate because 80% of Republicans are in favor of these types of laws. Will it get that far? Do you think it will actually get to the floor? Well, I'll tell you this, Jason. I, it's a long session. It's long and short at the same time. In these next five months, when it comes down to March, I'll be adding my legislation as amendments to any one of their bills. There's no germaneness rule in the Texas Senate. And so if they want to strip it out of bills, if they want to vote against it, that's their prerogative. But it's my prerogative to have that discussion because those families deserve it. All they're asking for are common sense gun solutions so that this doesn't happen to another family again. Another piece of legislation you said you were going to introduce, you told us last time, was mandatory training, mass shooting training for all law enforcement, not just school district police, but all law enforcement. That seems like a no-brainer that that could easily get passed. What are you hearing? Well, we found, Jason, that there were so many law enforcement officers that didn't have the active shooter alert training. I mean, at the end of the day, you had massive failure by law enforcement by local, state, and federal officers that stood around for 77 minutes while kids called the police, said we're inside, come and get us help, send help. The kids were braver than the cops that day. We need to make sure that law enforcement is properly trained. And it's a simple solution. It's all right there in front of us, Jason. We just have to work towards those solutions. There's still an investigation uh, with DPS into, into what happened here. When do you expect results from that investigation? You know, you and I both heard that those results would be come back last December. Now we're hearing from the district attorney that the full investigation will be out sometime in the spring. I don't know if she means after the legislative session or not. But not just these families, but the entirety of Texas deserves to have a full accounting of what happened so that they can see for themselves how police failed, how emergency response services failed, how systems failed and communications failed here in South Texas. What do you think the delay is? This happened back in May. Sadly, I think it's politics. You think so? Sadly, I think it's politics. You think there's cohesion between Uvalde County and, and uh, the governor's office or what? I think nobody wants to truly acknowledge their failures. We saw one Texas Ranger be fired last week. One. That's the only firing. The rest have been resignations. One firing. The fact is, and he was fired because they claim that he, should, that he misdiagnosed the situation. He was on the phone with a higher up for 25 minutes. What were they telling them? Who were they talking to? Who was talking to McCraw? McCraw needs to do a really good look in the mirror and look about everything that he misdiagnosed, everything he misanalyzed, and look at the failure of leadership that he has done for this department. Should he keep his job? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Senator, thank you for the time.
And you know, even though uh, Senator Gutierrez is a, a Democrat, I, I think that his his voice maybe does carry more weight on this issue, just because he is the the you know the senator for Uvalde uh, and has been uh, you know closely aligned with a lot of the families down there throughout. Uh, and and as you said, you know, just going back to the Republican speaker, uh, you know, saying that there are going to be some tough conversations about this. Those are going to be tough conversations, yeah. no matter you know what direction they choose to go in here. Uh, there's going to be some rawness, I think, on both sides. And I think it goes beyond just the, you know, the gun issue. Uh, you know, there's, there's been calls for accountability here. You know, who, who should be held accountable? You know, we've gotten the preliminary report out now to the DA down there. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any appetite at this point that we have seen uh, for holding uh, anyone, you know, accountable for what happened there. And, you know, I think that there's still a thirst in this state for the information. There's so much that we still don't know, except these things that have been leaked out. Uh, you know, you, you see a, a, a tape appear on CNN that, you know, we haven't heard about uh, for months and months and months. And you know, everything that we see that leaks out seems, you know, pretty damning as far as the response goes there. Uh, and I think that there is still a thirst for more information in this state. Yeah, there, there, there is indeed. You know, the Uvalde County District Attorney uh, was supposed to have a report out before the holidays about what happened seven months earlier back in back in May. Uh, th there's a preliminary report out. There's not a full one out yet. Now it's supposed to be out sometime in the spring is what Roland Gutierrez told us there. Um, what is the cause for the delay? A lot of people think it's politics. Uh, it wouldn't mm -hmm. surprise me if it's politics. But when it comes down to accountability, Jason, as you mentioned, you know, there, there have been a, a few people who have been held accountable. But, but there is, uh, you know, th there are a lot of folks who say that the DPS director, Steve McCraw, needs to be fired. And when mm -hmm. I asked the governor that last fall during the, uh, the gubernatorial election, he said, well, let's wait and see exactly what the, what the report said. He didn't want to go that far until he saw what the report said. At the end of the day, you had 77 minutes elapse before anybody uh, went inside. I was just watching something on, on Instagram earlier today, and it made me think of Uvalde. There, uh, there apparently was a, a person who was inside a, a grocery store in Sydney, Ohio, and the call came in to the local police there, the Sydney police, and it said there was an active shooter inside and the cops get there and one one officer shows up the rest of his uh you know team isn't there yet the one officer according to the, the body cam video i was watching on instagram here he goes right in goes right in mm -hmm. looking i'm thinking one, mm -hmm. one cop one cop goes in when when there's uh you know a grocery store they're trying to find out you know trying to find this person knowing there, there's reports of an active shooter you had dozens of cops in Uvalde standing Scores. around outside when they're still getting 911 calls from kids right. inside. Mm -hmm. Inexcusable. And, and to have somebody like, like uh, Roland Gutierrez really, really pushing this, I'm sure it means a lot to the, the victim's family members. I'm interested to see how much lawmakers are going to push for that information that still has not come out, yeah. that the, you know, the DA can see that others have not seen how much are they going to push for that? Because there was a lot of, uh, you know, 
conjecture going into the midterm election that maybe uh, you know it was political that this wasn't be, being released and that maybe we would see it right after the November election well that came and went and we didn't see it now you have to wonder you know if if indeed and, and you know I'm not charging this but if indeed it is political you know is there an effort to slow walk it to get it past the legislative session uh, before that stuff is fully released so I think the curiosity is going to be you know they, they, they say they're going to have these tough conversations how tough are lawmakers going to be in pushing to get that information that we have waited you know by the end of this session uh, it will have been a little more than a year yeah. since that massacre at Robb Elementary so we'll see how aggressive they are in actually pushing to get that information so that they can make informed decisions uh, you know about policy going forward uh, especially after what happened there to make sure that something that horrible doesn't happen again the, the session's over at the end of may i think the shooting was may 22nd so it's going to be a little more than a year after that I, I, i'm i'm fascinated to see I'm, I'm curious to see whether speaker Phelan gets a win on this or, or whether uh you know he he gets you know, voted down by his own members. But remember, if something, if he if he has a tough conversation and can convince his Republican colleagues in the House to support something, it still has to go to the Senate. It still has to go to the governor's desk. Uh, right. What's the appetite? Again, we don't know exactly what the legislation might look like, but it seems like that lawmakers are interested in doing something, passing something, since the governor did not want to call a special session immediately after that happened. So you didn't detect the buzz in these first few days as you normally would at the legislative session. You do wonder if that's sort of the quiet before the storm. Maybe this time that buzz kicks in, uh, you know, months down the road. Yeah, maybe I should have gotten some more of these uh, beer samplers from H-E-B and passed out around the Capitol. Uh, around Speaking there. of buzzes yeah. kicking in, yeah. I heard during that last interview that you did open another can. So are you on your second can of warm beer? <laughs> no. no, I think you're hearing things uh, today. Your hearing is going. How is that warm beer? How is that warm beer? It is. Yeah, I've, I've had a surprising amount of it considering how warm it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Don't Make sure you put that other beer in the fridge. Don't just leave it out there uh, because so, will. someone will take it. I might come by and take it. I'm going to go over there and make sure that, it, that nothing is attached to it. And if it looks safe, I'm going to go ahead and pick that thing up and take it home. All right, man. Thank you for that, by the yeah, way. You got it anytime. Th thank you guys for listening. We're, we're going to uh, really be focusing a lot on what happens in Austin uh, over the next five months as a legislature. Because it affects you. It, it affects every one of us. It's, it's, go it's going to. At, at the end, of, it's, it's going to mm -hmm. affect your pocketbook. What happens with, mm -hmm. with that $32 billion surplus, whether you get a check or whether uh, you know it, it lowers your, your monthly rent or, or monthly mortgage payment. It, it, that's just one thing that's going to affect you, but there's a lot of stuff happening. So, so while you're here listening to this, hit that subscribe button and tell other people in your life to do the same so that you get these automatically when they drop every week. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Before y'all leave, click subscribe to get y'all a ticks every week. And if y'all want to talk instead of listen, you can reach the Jasons anytime on the Yolitics hotline at 214-977-6020. That's 214-977-6020. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.